time for Pick'em. Let's get ready to rumble! Question number one. Texas A&M played seven overtimes in their upset win over LSU. The 146 combined points were the most in FBS history in this five-hour game. So what is the best marathon game in sports history? Eric, you go first. Well, seven overtime games. I'm going to go to another seven overtime game. Arkansas Ole Miss 2001, seven overtimes, 58-56. Arkansas wins that game in the seventh overtime. They 6-6, tied all the way through, then 8-6 in the seventh overtime. That one has to be that that but prior to this game, that was the one that was the one that really stood out to me. November 3rd, 2001, Arkansas Ole Miss. That game was pretty good, but I'm gonna go to a different college sport for mine, Eric. 2009 Big East Tournament. Number three UConn against number 18 Syracuse. And we got six overtimes, the longest NCAA game in the shot clock era, 127 to 117, Syracuse pulls it out. Johnny Flynn played 67 minutes in this game. He had 47 points, 11 assists, and six steals. That's a performance for the ages. This is a game for the ages. Syracuse thought they'd won it in regulation. Buzzer beater didn't count. Question number two. During the last week, we saw some of the weaker rival matchups in the Big Ten especially. Northwestern beat Illinois for the fourth straight year, Ohio State beat Michigan for the sixth straight year, and Minnesota beat Wisconsin for the first time in 15 years, though there's some of the more one-sided rivalries in recent years. So what is the most of the one-sided rivalry matchups? Noah, take it away. For me, it's about tennis. Serena Williams, Maria Sharapova. Even in these lopsided football rivalries like Virginia, Virginia Tech, the games are close. M Serena Williams has beaten Maria Sharapova 18 straight times, Eric, until she retired from a match this year. That doesn't really count because it was a retirement. So Sharapova hasn't won a single set in the two's last eight matches across Grand Slams, Olympics, and the WTA Championships. So not only has Serena won 18 straight, she's not even letting Sharapova get close. You know what? I was debating between either going with my hometown or this one right here, but I'm going to go with this one since you didn't say it. It's got to be the obvious one. Harlem Globetrotters, Washington Generals. From 1953 to 1995, the Harlem Globetrotters went 13,006. Come on now. I know it's a show or whatnot. But come on, this is, this is a sporting event. They do play each other. They play a competitive game. And you got to keep, be kidding me. For, for almost, for four, over 40 years, 13,006? Question number three. The University of Illinois football program announced a two-year extension today for head coach Lovey Smith. Smith's tenure has been, let's say, up and down. He has a career record of 9-27 in three years at the helm. So, who is the least successful, longest-termed coach? Eric, you go first. I'm going to have to go to the son of Don Shula, David Shula. Career record, 19-53. and 53. He got his first chance to run the Bengals in 1992, and in four and a half seasons, he managed to lose 50 games faster than any coach in league history. 
That dude was deplorable. When's the last time you heard of Shula ever losing a game? Don Shula, 72 undefeated champions. David Shula, 50 game losses. David Shula, the worst long tenure coach ever. 1953, he's horrible. Guys, Marvin Lewis has been the Bengals head coach for 16 years, and you might say, well, Marvin has a winning record. He's 130 and 116 and three. But Eric, he's been the head coach for 16 years. How many playoff games have they won in that time span? Zero. They've never won a playoff game in 16 years. He's the second longest tenured coach with one team in the NFL today. The other one is Bill Belichick, who's won five Super Bowls in that span. Marvin Lewis hasn't even won a playoff game. Worst head coach with the longest tenure? It's the guy who hasn't won in the playoffs. Playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? Question number four. This weekend was a good one for trick plays in football. We saw a bunch of them, including a fake field goal passed to an offensive lineman executed by the Steelers. So what is the best trick play in football history? Noah, you go first for this one. All the offensive trick plays have something in common. There's a little bit of misdirection, a little bit of a pitch, and then somebody throws it to somebody else. I'm going out of the, out of the box here. Special teams trick plays. What Aaron Rodgers called the greatest play he'd ever seen. The greatest special, SB Nation called it the most unstoppable play in football. It's the trick punt return that the, the Rams popularized in Week 7 in 2014 against the Seahawks. One return on one side of the field, one on the other. You fake the return to one side, go down the other. Works every time. Bears did it to the Packers first. Go back on a phantom holding. Rams perfected it. I'm going to go to my uh, first master school, Arkansas State, 2013 GoDaddy Bowl. The play was called Hide the Midget. The play was called Hide the Midget. Just had to put that out there. Don't want people to get offended. Basically, the, the offensive line lined up with the wide receiver, hide it underneath them, basically took the direct snap and ran it for 20 yards. Arkansas State was down 10-3 at that point. That got him a first down. And not only that, it got him the GoDaddy Bowl win. So I'm going to have to go. The play is called Hide the Midget, 2013 GoDaddy Bowl. Question number five. This Saturday marked the last home game for Northwestern quarterback Clayton Thorson. The four-year starter had a legendary career rewriting Northwestern history books and setting himself along the Big Ten leaderboards in many categories. But outside, regardless of Thorson, who is the best athlete in Northwestern sports history? Eric, take it away for this one. I mean... People want to say the football field, but I'm a wrestler in high school, so this one really touched me hard. I went through the list. I'm going to have to go Jake Herbert, class of 09, wrestling. He's the most dominant wrestler in Northwestern history. Wrestling is the toughest sport known to mankind. He won the 184-pound title 2007-2009, and in his whole career, out of 139 matches, he went 135-4. and four. four losses in college wrestling. Big Ten wrestling at that. I'm going to have to go Jake Herbert, man. He, 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 yeah. The question says best athlete, and while Jake Herbert was a good wrestler, did he play three sports? No. Otto Graham did. First team All-American in basketball. First team All-American in football. He returned for a touchdown. He caught a pass for a touchdown. He ran for touchdowns. He threw for touchdowns. Won five NFL NFC championships after leaving Northwestern. Played football, basketball, and baseball. Started on all three teams and averaged almost 20 points per game on the basketball team. Three sports, studded all three, won at the professional level. Give me Otto Graham. Man, he'll Jake Herbert ball him up. Wow, a fantastic pick'em. 
from both uh, Eric and Noah. Here, I'm joined here in studio by Tim Hackett, host of the first hour of the <laughs> Sports Block. Thanks, Tim, for joining us. So let's get to the questions. Question one, we asked about, inspired by the late game last night, LSU-Texas A&M, the best marathon game, and we got a bunch of long overtime answers. Eric went with Arkansas Ole Miss in 2001, another seven overtime game. Noah went with UConn-Syracuse, another game, and the six overtime game, that one obviously a classic and maybe the stakes different. I'm wondering which way you're leaning because seven is more than six. This is true. I th- uh, even I can do that math, Ari. Um, that is true. Uh, I think I, I, I think these are both really good answers, by the way. Um, but I, I think I, I, I'm initially leaning more towards Noah's answer here. I think I liked the, the, the like you said, the stakes a little bit more with that one. I think uh, just the. the I don't know. I can't really articulate it, but I think I like that one a little bit more. All right, so I think we're we're mostly in agreement on this one. Question one, Noah, with a six-overtime answer, UConn versus Syracuse, an instant classic. Um, so let's go quickly to question two. We have with some time here. We can stretch this out a bit. But question two, we asked the greatest one-sided rivalry. Uh, two great answers here. Noah went with Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova with Serena at one point winning eight streams, 18 straight matches. And Eric went with the Harlem Globetrotters rivalry with the Washington Generals. Always a great matchup. Uh, a different style of answers. Which way are you thinking on yeah, this? Yeah, two really good answers for two different reasons, like you said, Ari. So I guess uh, the debate here uh, lies. Uh, my question to you for the, the purpose of this debate is how we want to go about answering this question. I think... The tennis answer is a really good question if you're only considering head-to-head because head-to-head, Sharapova, like Noah said, has not even been able to hold a candle or whatever other you know metaphor you want to use to Serena Williams. When they play against each other, it's absolutely no contest. Serena has beaten her almost every single time, especially in matches that matter. Though outside of Serena, Sharapova does have some success. Uh, you know, a, a fair amount of success, and that's why this is even billed as a rivalry because, you know, for many years they were the number one, number two players in the world. So there uh, there was that rivalry in terms of they both had success outside of each other. I think that it's difficult to compare these two answers because of that uh, because obviously the generals don't exist outside of the Harlem Globetrotters, and I think that is a one-sided rivalry only because it's supposed to be, and the Globetrotters are supposed to win these games. Uh, so I guess my question to you is, do we want to consider the fact that, uh, are we just considering the rivalry between the two players, or do we, or between the two entities, or do we want to consider the, the two entities as a whole and the success they may have had outside of the individual rivalry itself? Well, I think the question asks about a rivalry, and I don't know what a what a rivalry is if it's not going head to head against each other. Um, there's outside stakes, but I just think that you have 18 straight wins, but then you have however many thousand straight wins by the Harlem Globetrotters, and it's for entertainment. But I thought that was a fantastic answer. That's definitely the way that I would lean toward this. But I don't know if you're thinking the same way. Um, I think all right. You make a you make a good point that you know in terms of the the spirit of the question. I guess that is a really good answer. Um, I guess the only reason I would brush back even a little bit is that I don't think that that is a rivalry. Um, I think it's got the history. There's no doubt about it. And they've been, you know, foes for a very long time. Uh, But you could make the argument that Sharapova is not expected to beat Serena again at this point because of their history. That is still a more even matchup than the Globetrotters ever are against the whatever the other team is called. See, I don't even care. 
uh, the Globetrotters are not supposed to lose. That is the design of those games. I've actually been to one, had a lot of fun. It's fun. It's really fun. But they're not supposed to lose. Serena, in theory, could lose. I, I agree with you on that, but also, like, if you read about the Generals, they'll say they are trying to win every game as closely as possible, uh, at least to some extent, but they also have this genuine rivalry, and they are trying to at some point get a win. The Globetrotters just know that they have to at some point close out the game, and they have the talent, obviously, to do it, um, and they'll go through the tricks and whatever, but... I think it's such a fantastic out-of-the-box answer. I think that's where I'm going to go with this one. All right, I'm going to defer to you because you are the the showrunner of this show, but both of the guys in the other room have been flagging me down vigorously for the last three minutes. Do, do you go back to the contestants? or your, It's your call. It is your show. Do you it go sounds back like to they, they both want we'll, – we'll give them another 30 seconds to just see what they say because I think this was a lot of fun on okay. this question. your call. All right, so I'm going to go. I'm going to bring back the Globe Charge because, like you, like you said, Tim, you were talking about they're supposed to win. There were some matches that the Colin Globe Trotters went out there, like they said, they're supposed to win, and they actually lost games. So it's not a gimme that the Globe Charters are going to win the games. I mean, they, they do win, like more, they do are supposed to win. They do put on the show, they're all the marquee thing, but they do play competition and whatnot. But the fact that they've won. In 40 years, 13,000 to 6? Guys, the Generals don't try to win. Ari, this shows me that you've never been to a Globetrotters Generals game. They do not actually try. Like, they say, talk a big game online and on the web. If you go to Globetrotters Generals, they only try to win in the couple of games where it's not explicitly designed for the Globetrotters to win to appease the fans. Sometimes they play a game for fun, but most of that 13,000... Like 99% of it is the generals knowing that they have to lay down and lose. They're not trying to win the games. That's why the games get out of hand the way they do. They won That's six. That's how though. it works. They won six though. They have won in the past, and if you read, they are saying they're trying to win. So they I'm gonna give that. Eric they this point. They say that in professional Let's go wrestling. Go to question three, and they say in professional wrestling that they're trying to win. They're still we, not we trying. Need, we're gonna go. We're. I need a little clarification because Eric, I cannot find your answer. Um, you had. What was the coach and the record? What did you say? For question, question three, three we question? asked about the, the coach with the worst tenure. Who, who, I couldn't find your answer. Oh, David Shuler, 19, 19 and 53, Deadspin.com, 16 worst coaches in modern NFL history. All right, we're trying to find, because I, I found a David Shula page, but it never says that he was a head coach. But if you're arguing yeah, that as a head coach of the Bengals. Oh, here it is. Yeah, 1992 to 1996. Yes. With 19 and 52 overall career record uh, until being fired midseason after five years. Uh, Noah went with Marvin Lewis, longtime coach of the Bengals, has a winning record, just has not been able to finish in the big game. Tim, which way are you lean thinking about this one? I think recency bias is an effect here. Uh, I, I think Marvin Lewis might be the better answer overall in another close one. Um, it's tough. Maybe this is foolish, and I imagine that Noah might might uh, be mad at me for saying this. I actually think Marvin Lewis is an okay coach, but he has no results at all. Uh, and so there's there's no reason, I guess, for the show of faith that the Bengals have had in him. I respect it. I respect that they keep going back to their guy. I really do. Um, and you see that in baseball a little bit, and less so in football, unless you got a guy like Bill Belichick who wins all the time. You, you don't see this loyalty, I guess you could call it, in, in football or in really any sport outside of baseball, in my opinion. 
Um, so I respect that, but he really just doesn't have the results. So I agree with you, Tim. I think, I think, I think he's a fine answer. I don't think he's a bad coach either. It's just the question is least successful, and like you said, he doesn't have the results. I don't think he's a bad coach. He just can't win when it counts. So I'm looking at some of Dave Shula's record now. So after his first three years, he went 5-11, and 3-13, and 3-13, and 13, and then had two more seasons after that where he went 7-9 and nine and right. then 1-6 and six before being hired. Now, this is what really does it for me. They, the, the Bengals hired, um, they hired Shula. The other candidate that they decided ultimately not to pursue was Bill Cower. <laughs> Bill Cower had uh, obviously an incredible tenure. He went 22-9 and nine in his career against the Bengals and was 8-1 and one against Shula. I think that does it for me. Yep. Uh, you give five years and you go 1-9 against the guy that you were hired over. I think that makes this a better answer for me. Okay, that's fine. We gotta move on, I guess. I talked right. too long. As so usual. it's two one. Eric leads. We have two more questions. The best trick play in football. Noah went with the trick punt return, trying to spice things up, looking at special teams. One guy tries to f- not call for a fair catch, but pretend that he's under it, and then the ball's actually on the other side of the field. You somehow fool the defenders on that. Eric went with the hide the midget play. Arkansas State ran where they had someone hidden behind the offensive line and gave him the ball, allowed him to run all the way. Um, points for creativity, definitely. For both answers, not reaching into any of the traditional ones, but uh, which way are you thinking on this one? Uh, it's, uh, this is a tough one just because of the, the nature of the question, I guess. Um, I guess I would lean more towards Eric's answer, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think you can go either way. Like you said, points for creativity for both sides, but unfortunately that doesn't count in sports voice. Um, I do like, I guess, the – the ingenuity of the hide the midget, I guess, but I, can we even say that? Um, but it, it 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 is fun, and I like getting the offensive line involved. Of course, um, I'm trying to watch it right now. Um, okay, all right. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? It, it's pretty cool looking, I guess. In upon further review, but I don't know. I, I, this I, is I a don't tough really one for me because they're both good answers. But none of them, like, stand out as, like, the best trick play I would think ever. Like the Statue of Liberty um, or something? something? Yeah, I mean, something more. But I, I, I do like the trick punt return in that you're fooling somehow a host of defenders into just not knowing where the ball is. This is similar, but you're hiding the ball and not just okay. saying believe your eyes and look at the ball. So I, uh, that's kind of where I'm thinking. I don't know if you disagree in any at all. Yeah, uh, no, I think that's a good argument, uh, though I guess, like, I don't know how you can. Re- I don't know how that fake punt return would work. Like, I I really don't know how any competent team would. But fall it for has. That. It does work. I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand how. Uh, all right, we're holding. We got to stall here as the as we wait for an ad. Um, I'm I'm thinking about that. Uh, all right, I'm being flagged in the other room again. Are you? Like, all right, we'll we'll watch this video and give them all about uh, ten more seconds. Okay, go ahead, Noah. I just want to explain to you how it works, Tim. So basically, because the one punt returner who you're fixated on is calling for the fair catch, the punt coverage guys are running down the field towards him because they don't see the ball. They only see the punt returner that they're focused on. Meanwhile, one of the gunners comes down the other side to catch it, right? He's not there back there initially. So they all flock to the big-name punt returner, which was Tavon Austin or Devin Hester, and that's how it works. That's why it's so in, in, in genu- ingenuity or whatever. For hide the midget, basically you're hiding behind the, you're hiding behind the offensive line, and everybody's going the other way. Like I couldn't even follow this play. Like the whole Ball State offensive defensive line 
and the defensive secondary fell for this play, and it broke it, and he broke it for 20 yards. And not only that, it got Arkansas State a first down, and that led to them scoring, and that led to them basically winning the game. They were down 10 to three, and they were they weren't really moving the ball. And this play right here really is a mind a mind play of Gus Malzahn. One, so it's got to be it, it's it's a misdirection because they go from they go from the angle from the in, from the uh, offensive line. You can't see the guy. All right, so we are – I think Noah's going to get this point, uh, and it's 2-2. Two to two. We're going to try to wrap things up Sounds right now. Uh, it's about 9.02. So we have question five, winner take all. We asked for the best athlete in Northwestern history. I Always a tough question. Two good answers. Eric went with yeah. Jake Herbert. Neither one went with my favorite, Olivia Rosendahl, okay. two-time national champion. But uh, Noah went with three-sport athlete, Otto Graham, All-American in football, basketball, and baseball, went out to have – of course, an incredible NFL career. Do you give points for recency at all and maybe a tougher scenario, or is are the three-sport athlete something that's so legendary? Yeah, really good. Uh, that's, that's posed really well. Um, that's why both of these are really good answers. I guess just be, uh, Otto Graham has the, the name factor, I guess, the success in so many different facets of the of the, the world of sport that's really impressive. Though Justin Her- – uh, I'm sorry, I, got, I almost got the name wrong. I almost called him Justin Herbert. Uh, that is uh, – it's such a good answer uh, if you know the sport, I guess, and if you've been around Northwestern, I guess. Uh, just He was so dominant um, and really paved the way for Northwestern to be anywhere on the map in terms of wrestling, which they really are. They're consistently ranked. They have a couple of really good players in a bunch of different uh, weight divisions, um, and he really, I think, was part of the reason for that. And He just was so dominant for a couple of years. Uh, deserves to have his face on Welsh Ryan somewhere. Um I think that's a really good answer for that reason, though I don't think you can just simply overlook the success that Otto Graham had in so many different aspects of the uh, the world of sports. He was such a talented person. He was just, just just such an impressive person. The other thing, though, with Otto Graham, if you look at him as an All-American on the football team and Heisman candidate, but Northwestern, those weren't the best. You know, they had some good years. Those were some of the best years, but some of them not the best years. Six, um, And you wonder about that, and... I don't know if you want to consider team sports versus individual right, sports. That's I'm a tough one here. Really torn on this one. I think I'll defer to you, Tim. Which way are you leaning on this? Should we flip a coin? Like, is that the fairest way to do it? Well, you know, it's getting on nine oh five. I don't yeah. want to throw it back to the studio. So yeah. let's see. Um, so Otto Graham, a three sport athlete, had a lot of success all around. But um, Jake yeah. Herbert also uh, did he have the national championship in I'm, the same I'm way? Pretty sure. So. Yeah, it's a tough one. I'll I'm flip a coin. Look at, uh, I don't want to decide the end on a coin yeah, flip. Yeah, that's fair. I'm trying to see if Northwestern had that success. I'm pretty um, sure he did. Northwestern. What what specific like? Specifically? So if I mean, did, if Northwestern had the same like level of success under Otto Graham, oh, um, they had some good years, but. Looks like it was. I mean, they didn't win a national championship, so I, I, I think best, I, I do like the reaching athlete. into wrestling and yeah. getting the Jake Herman answer. So I think Eric's gonna get this for the second week in a row. A three to two win over Noah Kaufman, highly contested. However, Noah, this is for you. You're a loser. You're despicable. Well, hello, loser. Turbo, 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 crazy knucklehead of turbo. Just go home and cry to your daddy. Don't cry here, okay? Why don't you go back outside and talk to trees or whatever it is you do? 
And Eric, 30 seconds of FaceTime. All the little people and, and whatnot, uh, just my victory. I mean, shout out to everybody. Great weekend for Northwestern. Uh, snow's coming down. Uh, a lot of my sports guys are trying to get the cancel class Monday hashtag trending. So uh, hopefully everybody can here can get that uh, transfer, uh, get that trending. Also, everybody's traveling back home from Thanksgiving weekend. The weather's kind of improved, but hopefully everybody gets back safe and get ready to close out this quarter on a high note. And Northwest will pick up the victory. All right, thanks so much, guys, for joining us. This has been another edition of the Sports Voice. Uh, thanks so much, Eric and Noah, for joining us. We'll be on next week. I believe that will be the last sports block of the quarter. So until then, we're signing off here from the Lakeside Studios. The producers of the Sports Voice are Henry Ettinger and Zach Coons. The WNUR sports directors are Sam Brief and Will Greer. Thanks for listening, have a good night, and as always, go Cats.